I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe this? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of their participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 82 doesn't exist. The movie's over. It wasn't over. It still isn't over. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! The thing is, Adam Bush, who plays Gordon, sends me a message today. Because we've been trying to coordinate an interview time for a couple of months now. And he says, did I miss it? Is the pod over? I told him yes, and then sort of jokingly say, unless you can guarantee the most insightful, amazing interview ever, then I might be tempted to throw up a bonus episode. And he said, I swear it. So here it is. It's me, Robert Black, along with Adam Bush, who plays Gordon. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the? There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Did I promise? Did I promise to myself? I It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. I get a few words from you before you go. Sorry for a little bit of the echo and weird audio quality. This was my first time doing an entire recording like this through Skype. I'm going to attempt to, whatever we say now, edit it and put it up tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because I don't I don't want to have any gap if I can help it. I mean, I appreciate you um, jumping back in on my behalf. I know you thought you were out. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Any questions for me? No. Okay. You don't need to know much. You know what the show is? The show's over. Oh, it no. is over. <laughs> so, it is a um, it is um, it is a very detailed way to look at a thing. It is. And it's remarkable how many of them there are. There's, I think it's 120 movies by minute shows, either done or in process right now. Wow. Which is crazy. I have another one on original Halloween that's only got a few episodes left. And then I'm doing my next one on The Room, so. You're doing The Room. I am. You're just gonna live with that. You're gonna live inside that room yeah, for, for a few months. <laughs> wow. Yeah, cause we're gonna do three episodes a week, so it's gonna take a while. 30 weeks. I guess it's like a religious conversion, right? It's yeah, just yeah. like, I mean, it, you just, you get a calling and you have to follow it. Yeah. And I have so many other, like, movies I'd love to do it to. And then I'm like, but I don't know if I want to spend that much time with certain things unless I have something to say. Dave Made a Maze gave me something to say. And I think I have something to say with The Room by talking about bad movies. And so, we'll see. That's so tough. It, I, I don't know. I'm more forgiving with songs, I guess. Than I am movies. Like it's like you can love a bad song and still say it's a good song. Mm-hmm. But I guess the room, even if you love it, is always going to be a bad movie. Well, it's not even my favorite bad movie. It's just one of the ones that everyone knows. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a good approach to go in through that one. But there are so many bad movies that are entertaining because of the way they went bad. Yeah. 
Now, now how? We'll start with an uh, the easy question. How did you get attached to the room? I mean, not to the room. You're not in the room. <laughs> Have it you felt seen great the to room? be asked that though. That was nice. <laughs> Have you seen the room? <laughs> so, little fantasy of mine just came true. That was nice. <laughs> Yeah, seeing how my brain works. Um, how did you get attached to Dave Made a Maze? I have a folk band, and we sing songs sometimes. And Bill Watterson, the director, had invited um, my folk band to play a couple songs. I'm giving you the long version, because I assume it's what That's you good. wanted. Um, he invited my folk band to play a couple songs, and in a show, uh, a vaudeville kind of show he was doing at the time. And we hit it off, and then a couple months later, I got a call asking if I would do a pilot presentation thing that was being self-funded that Bill had written and had a bunch of fun people in it. They were just doing it all for free, like on a Saturday night overnight, and it was really funny, and I, I agreed to do it. Now, I've been making music with my friends from childhood my whole life, and we kind of had this rule where we said um, we would never turn down any chance to create something. Hmm. Nice. In terms of like, if it was a choice between that and seeing someone else create something else, meaning like if some band we loved was in town, but we had an opportunity to play even a shitty gig, we'll always play the shitty gig instead of going to see, you know, the band will always choose to create over um, seeing other people create, even if they're our heroes or whatever. I'll tie this together, I promise. We, um, I agreed to do this thing for Bill, and then that, that Saturday, I woke up in the morning and I walked past, um the local pub in Echo Park that I go to every night and written on the chalkboard it said um, the Rolling Stones tonight I'm like well that's crazy because this holds like a couple hundred people <laughs> so I called a buddy of mine that attended bar there and he said yep the Rolling Stones are coming in tonight <laughs> and they're playing you know to promote this tour that they're doing and it's just uh, some guests only but if you show up at the at the backstage door at a certain time I can get you in now, I'd never seen the Rolling Stones up until that point, because um, I knew they were a bar band. And I always said, well, if I'll ever see them, I'd love it to be in a bar, not in like a stadium, because that's not really their thing. Like, maybe Pink Floyd would be a, a stadium show. And I said, I can't, I can't go see the Rolling Stones playing at my local bar tonight, because I gotta go shoot this thing, and, um, <laughs> and, we, uh, but we got this rule. I said, well, I'll always choose to create over watching other people do it, no matter who they are. And so I agreed to do the um, pilot instead. Never saw the Stones. I mean, I, I watched all the videos on YouTube, even when Nick Jagger was like, hello, Echo Park. It's like, he's right there. They're all right there, down, like, literally downstairs from where I live. And I wasn't there. And I never did see that pilot that we shot. But... <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years later, I got a call from Bill saying I'm making a movie. It's got uh, James Urbaniak. Do you want to do it? I said, yeah. And it was some of the most fun I ever had in my entire life. And I've still never seen The Stones. And I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> because at the end of the day, I think I made the right choice. Because I've seen the clips on YouTube. And Dave is better. Now, interesting thing. Um, I knew you from Buffy. Mm-hmm. But didn't recognize you when I first saw Dave Made a Maze. Like, partly because the beard and partly because Gordon seems nice, you know? <laughs> and, like, back then I hated you. Then, or hated your character. Either so one's was... fun. <laughs> <laughs> I get it a lot on both ends, so it's fun. I do, I do look very different very often. I have a mustache right now. Yeah, yeah. 
that can be a very different look depending on what you do with it. I, I, I don't know why I look the way I do during that movie, um, but I love that the t-shirt changes over time if you yes. pay attention. I do have one of them. Nice. Which one did you keep? The hero one. Now, now you promised to be to, for the insightful interview. <laughs> Sorry about that, by the way. No, I have it coming. It's fair. Okay. So... Where's, Where's the best place you hit a bread roll? <laughs> um, it's you're the last to interview because my first interview was Lauren Shell, and she's the one who told me about the bread rolls. What, now, what did she tell you exactly? She well, she said it was most it was mostly you hiding bread rolls all over because the, the caterers had a lot of extra ones. Scott Narver admitted that he also helped put them around. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, you know, it was just one of those things. Um, where the catering had, no matter what they served, they just had this like, like dumpster full of bread rolls. It was, um, <laughs> like ball pit size. Like you could go swimming in them and they're very aerodynamic. And in keeping with the spirit of, you know, kind of building and breaking down a set every day, building a new one and breaking it down and building a new one and breaking it down. It was fun to have some consistency. The consistency being, that I threw bread rolls at everybody, hid them everywhere I could because the color blends so nicely in the cardboard. And it just became a loopy rallying cry. That and uh, the song Ain't Nobody Gonna Break My Stride, Ain't Nobody Gonna Hold Me Down, Whoa, Gotta Keep On Moving. I don't know what the title is, but that song gave us a lot of um, a lot of relief. We would just play it all the break time. It's got a very recognizable, yeah, Break My Stride. Oh, I think because there was some story about the guy who wrote that song that we were talking about. And it it's one of those songs that has a very strong, recognizable intro. So yeah. when you start it, yeah. yeah it, exactly. Exactly. And and it does nothing more than what it does in those first five seconds of the song. It does it very <laughs> well, but it stays right there the whole time. So you've got it. You've got it. Whatever that has to offer, you get it all right in the first five seconds. So it's a satisfying couple of seconds. The song. I forget the song that Frank Coyote said everyone was would sing. I'm sure that was it. Was it not? It, it was a different one because I, I put really? it. In, I put it at the end of our end of the episode. He was in. Oh. And I, apparently, I moved it into a different directory, so I don't can't find the song offhand. We'll um, get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And then he had songs, of course. Uh, I asked him about Dookie Stain because Scott told me about it. I don't know if you know that one. <laughs> Is that by, um, no, is that no, Bronx? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dickie stayed by Bronx. Other than throwing bread rolls at people, what would be the other, like, what's the best behind the scenes story you've got? Best behind the scenes? I don't know. Can you ask something more specific? <laughs> Let's see. Who haven't I talked to? What's the dirt on Nick Thune? <laughs> I love talking about Nick. What do you want to know? Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. He's. He, I, I mean, I have. I have a soft. He's a comic. At the end of the day, yeah. I think he's a a really, a really funny actor. But he's he's a comic at heart. Do you know what I mean? And he's got yeah. those eyes that are kind of commenting on everything, even if his <laughs> mouth isn't saying anything. You could see it in his eyes. And there's kind of a, a, a self awareness when a comic is doing what I think is kind of a dramatic role or kind of a, you know, played serious role where there's real stakes and real consequences and um, 
real emotion. And I've found quite often that they make some of the best dramatic actors. Yeah. 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 Um, that there's something inherently sad about comedians and there's something inherently, um, sad about Dave. And I think they have that in common. And I think there's both within them. You know, I don't know. Um, that much about how Nick grew up, but I would imagine there's some degree of the zealousness of the convert in both Dave and in Nick, where you kind of grew up as one thing, but you turned into something else, or you yeah. want to be something else. Yeah. And um, a great reliance on friends and a need for friends and what their role is um, in both of their lives. I think that's something they also both have in common. And we both hit it off immediately we both had i think uh how do you explain it it was like i feel like we're both flawed people and together we would make a perfect person (laughs) (laughs) sad but i like the description um well i mean i think if it's sad it's probably true right yeah it's it's part of what appeals to me of the movie itself Dave, especially, but also Gordon and maybe Annie or any of them feel a little incomplete until they are doing something all together. That's well said. I have to agree. And I think there's also the um kind of the suspension of disbelief that the audience goer has to take that Dave's friends and family have to take as well. What's that uh, saying about it takes two people to lie? You know, one person has to believe it has to really believe it for it to be a lie. So in a way, you're kind of both responsible because it takes two to do it. There's a theory for you. And I think it, um, if it's ever true, it's certainly true in this, this in- instance where Dave is, you know, you have to believe it all. You have to believe this person. You know, it's almost like when, um, if someone is having a bad drug trip and they've locked themselves in the bathroom and they think they're in a maze, you're not going to get them out of there by insisting they're not in a maze, they're just in the bathroom and to get up. You're going to have to go with them and get them out of the maze. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if they're yeah, drunk, yeah. if they're, you're going to have to, okay, now go there, you're going to have to suspend, you're going to have to go there with them. And I think that's the leap they all make for him. And they realize they have to make it for him if they ever want to get him back. Nice. That's a good description. As for, as for Gordon, as a character, what, what um, I'm wondering, what did you put it into Gordon that wasn't already there in like the script? Um, in terms of improv or in terms of like who he was, sort of the way he. I mean, the director has some say, the script has a say, but what what, what came from you? Oh, I'm always good for you know weighing things down and a lot of sadness that's not written <laughs> in there. I'm always good for for some of that. <laughs> Like, wow, I said I was a lot sadder than I had envisioned it, but here we are. <laughs> you know, there's certainly like, I, I have such a s- place in my heart for comics. I'm so jealous and in awe of what they do that I, I'm very often just looking at Nick and trying not to laugh or, you know, trying to make him laugh. There was a lot of that, mostly because of me. And I swear to you, I'm not like this normally. I don't know why it happened here, but um I, it was just very prankstery and because Nick's a comic and nothing's sacred and I do tend to take things very seriously and to take work very seriously um I think we brought a 
at least for me, what was different was having more fun than I would normally have. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. On, a, on, a, on a set. Yeah, know. that wasn't really the question you asked. Um, there was apparently on um, one of the, what is it? There's a, the show where Jerry Seinfeld takes you for a ride and buys you a cup of coffee. He did the one with um, Michael Richards, and he asked him if he had any, you know, well, I'm sure he has regrets. He asked him if he has any, you know, thoughts about looking back on his time on Seinfeld, what he thought about his time there. And he says, I wish I had more fun. Huh. He says he, he took it very seriously, and he just wished he'd had more fun. And it's funny, because if you watch any behind-the-scenes stuff of Seinfeld, you'll see whenever anybody breaks or messes up their line, when everybody laughs, he is not laughing. He's just kind of, ugh. you know, he's not upset at all, but he's just, you see him working very, very hard and doing great work, but not having fun. And there is a way to do good work and have fun. And yeah. I think if I ever found it somewhere, it was there. And it was because of the, the people that he chose. I think we all had a similar quality or a similar sense of humor and we're pretty much all in all of the scenes together. Stephanie was definitely someone who, I saw this with Laura Silverman too once, where you don't even realize what the person's doing until you see the movie. And then you're <laughs> like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, I couldn't even see that. They had a whole relationship with the camera and the people behind it and a whole other world going on that I didn't even notice until it's, you know, where it matters on the screen in the movie. Although one of my favorite moments with you, <laughs> you and... And her character, when uh, Harry tells you to like be more, be more panicked, panicked after you're just casually like, "Oh, you look good." <laughs> I, think, I think I remember. I think I remember. It sounds like something I would have stolen from Airplane. Because <laughs> like you're you're just like oh like her her well uh, presumably her boyfriend Greg just died and you're like oh hi how you doing <laughs> just casually and Harry's like no more panicked and you just freak out. Grab her and start yelling. I, I'm. <laughs> I don't want to ever lie to anybody. I just want to. Uh, I always figure the funniest thing is the, the most honest thing you can think of. Yeah. yeah. To tie it all back around. That's all I can say. I really brought to that. I don't remember <laughs> if that bits in the script exactly or not. But um, well, is that the production was a few years ago? So. Was that I'm brimming with emotion? Yes. That wasn't the script. You picked a perfect movie to take minutes of because you can really confuse some people with oh, whatever yeah. you chose to give them. That was, that was sort of, of where the idea came from is like, what if someone saw this part of this movie and didn't know what was going on? Like, what if someone saw the puppet scene and didn't know what was going on? And I'm like, I have to figure out a way to do that. Give people paper bag puppets as a single minute of a movie and see what they think is happening. That could, that could work both ways, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, um, the band that really, what was it? Extreme. Remember Extreme? Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna keep all these musical references like 90s and earlier. We're just gonna keep it within that period. Um, they released that song More Than Words. That was yeah. a love ballad and everybody loved it. But then the rest of the album was like, <laughs> and nobody, <laughs> anybody that liked More Than Words did not want to hear that. Right. And people were very upset about it. Um, that could have that effect when you're expecting more puppets and you don't get more puppets. True. True. Interestingly, yeah. talking about music, uh, <laughs> Extreme's next album was actually closer to more than words than that other stuff. By then, no one cared. Yeah. 
That's interesting. We we we'd been burned. We weren't going yeah. back. It, you, you fooled us once and it hurt and we're just not ready to love again. And then he was the lead singer in Van Halen for a minute, right? Yeah, yeah. He did that. Um, I was like that second single, Wholehearted. That was a good song. That was good. Was uh, the song Frank Caetti brought up, by the way, was Too Shy by Kajagoogoo. Hush, hush, eye to eye. Man, I wonder why. <laughs> it sounds right. It sounds like something we'd do. Um... Who else do I want to know about? Let's see the gossip. <laughs> oh, hit me. Um, well, I, did, I never got in contact with James. Um, I'm surprised, James, you couldn't lock him down? He never even responded. <laughs> and I'm not saying that like it's a horrible. I mean, yeah. I understand. People are busy. And yeah, Instagram, you don't always notice when people send you direct messages. I don't often, which is a thing. Um, I mean, I've been a fan of his since... I was a, since I was a kid, and he did um, this play called Tom Payne in New York that I saw him in. And the when I had a chance to direct a movie, the first thing I did was hire him. And I'm, I'm just a fan, and I know there's a bunch of people like that that want to be in your movie that are really great that are around that you just have to ask them. Yeah, and yeah. when I see a name like that on a script, like you, if they are a fan of James, then then I want in because we have the same taste. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he's a good interview if you can ever get him. Um, he's got a very distinct voice and he's a close talker, so there's a lot to love there. <laughs> and what about Mira? Um, I love Mira because my younger brother is a talent agent in New York and he signed her right out of college hmm. and he was her first agent and then I remember when they got a TV show together my brother told me you gotta watch it watch his client Mira and she was amazing on it and I was a fan I remember seeing her in billboards for that TV show oh, that's my brother's client that's my brother's client and then he, she ended up in this movie <laughs> And I showed up uh set, and there she was. I was like, oh, I know exactly who you are. She didn't know who I was. I know exactly <laughs> who she was. And shes I think she's just the future. I think she's amazing. I think she is another one who um doesn't really do things funny or sad. She just plays them real. And I think she elevates that character to a hero. And I think she brought a lot that wasn't on the page and that's just kind of her grounding things and just i don't know it's a tough gig being the supportive girlfriend or love interest in a thing about someone else you know what i mean where your role is kind of to further their life and i think she manages to bring very a lot of her own life into that and tends to just make more of it than Maybe it even deserves. And I like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's just, um, I don't know, she's, she doesn't play things weak. No, no. Even if that's an option available that I would have taken, she won't do that. Because she's a little better than all of us. <laughs> that's how I feel. That's if there's real. shit to talk, I will drop it, I promise. I promise I will. If there's anything... Yeah, Any yeah, shit I can talk for you, I will. Where's the negatives? You know? I'm looking for it, man. <laughs> we'll find it. Don't worry. What is the worst thing that Bill Waterson ever did to you? <laughs> uh, you know, we had to eat a lot of bread. 
<laughs> we had a lot of red rolls. That was really, that was the extent of it. <laughs> How was the set for you? I know because they're constantly building in between takes right next to where you're filming. You know, we had, there was this one little room that we all hung out in. And I remember I brought in a bunch of stuff like lamps and board games and just stuff t- to make it feel like a guitar. I remember and just some stuff to make it feel like home. Mm-hmm. And I would look forward to hanging out with them every, every day. I really look forward to like being in that little room together with everybody as they picked us all off one by one to go through makeup or to shoot. Like I really liked that. I really like the camaraderie. I really like the um, cracking each other up all the time, that sort of thing. You know, um, Nick and I would take walks around the building outside to get outside because it would get very claustrophobic, you know, and, and you can hear everything over the soundstage. It's not soundproof at all. Right. So you always have to be quiet. And you always have to So you take these breaks, walk around, walk around, walk around, come back in. And it was... Um, you know, very easy to get lost because it was never the same. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you, you go for a walk and you come back in and it's just a small room and you're like, I have no idea where we are. I have no <laughs> idea where they are. I have no idea. This is all new. There's a whole nother thing here. And it became very easy to believe you were trapped <laughs> and to feel trapped. That's what the set was like. You know, some nondescript uh, warehouse in the Valley of Los Angeles. Or Burbank somewhere. It was, you know, very, very Actually, warehouse most industrial. Most of the filming was done right near where I am right now. About a half, about a mile from here. Where's that? Uh, uh Glendale. Yes, Glendale. That's yeah. what it was. That's right. Pre-production was over in the valley. They did most of the filming over here. Literally on the wrong side of the tracks, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, right by the tracks. Exactly. Yeah, I went and took pictures of the, uh, res- the big cardboard recycle bin. Yeah, that's pretty much the only recognizable <laughs> thing from in there. Yeah, unless you get in, I mean, maybe get in the building, at least get an idea of the size of the space, but I didn't go in there. Okay. Now, what are you doing now? Right now, I'm in (laughs) Chicago working on a procedural show for Fox called Proven Innocent. And I play a a campaign manager to uh, Kelsey Grammer, who is running for Attorney General of Chicago. And I have a mustache, and I play a real New York type. Now, I've seen your mustache. Is the show set in the 70s? Nope, but I am, apparently. <laughs> Nothing makes people more uncomfortable faster than a, than a tiny little mustache. Yeah, the right kind of mustache. It's got, kind of like, weird curly handlebar kind of thing, or the right 70s stash. It's I'm, some looks. I'm going for, like, early Vincent Price or late Dylan. <laughs> Which is kind of the same mustache, really. Don't get up, gentlemen. I'm only passing through. <laughs> you know, like when you're walking into a building, if a family is coming out, the mother pulls the child into them a little closer. <laughs> and, and you think to yourself, well, that that's just good parenting. You're right. That's good parenting. You're making sure parents are paying attention. And they are. <laughs> you're doing a service. Every day with this, with this stash. <laughs> Bridging the, the line between German and Jew, just <laughs> one mustache at a time.
So, final thoughts on Dave Made a Maze. Final thoughts on, uh, speaking of Dylan, do you, remember, you ever hear Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie? I believe so, yeah. His poem that he, um, I'm trying to memorize it. They asked, uh, Dylan to write a couple words on Woody Guthrie and ended up writing 10 pages and he calls it <laughs> Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. Um, if your head gets twisted and your mind grows numb and you think you're too old, too young, too smart, too dumb, when you're lagging behind and you're losing your pace in the slow motion crawl of life's busy race, whatever you're doing, if you start giving up, the line don't come to the top of your cup and the sidewalk starts crawling because the streets are too long, so you start walking backwards so you know that it's wrong and lonesome comes up and down goes the day and tomorrow's morning seems so far away. And tomorrow's morning seems so far away and you feel the rains from It goes on like that for like 10 pages, but I feel like that would be a similar last thought on Dave made a maze because it just goes on forever. You know, it's just, I think, a really simple, beautiful story about a depressed man and his friends who love him. And then I could probably disarm all the traps and then we could, we could finish this maze. Who is with me? Now. Unless James Rupaniak or Miracle Bunny or Nick Thune want to, you know, connect still. Or Bill Watterson's weird request for cardboard today on Facebook suggests some sequels are in the works. I think I may have escaped the maze. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. You're still here? Wait, what? It's over. Go home. Go.